Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. This is Jay with the continuing podcast of First Aid Basics. Today's discussion will be doing some anatomy, medical terminology, some medical directional terms, and um, we'll go from there. All right, starting right off with some easy medical terminology that um, isn't too hard to remember and yet is practical on on most uh, day-to-day needs for either advanced first aid or nursing or paramedicine or even those who are starting medical terminology uh, in some courses. So we'll start with the front of the body. So imagine, if you will, a a person is stood up, erect, palms facing outward, head straight, shoulders relaxed, feet about shoulder width apart. And that is the anatomical position for most every uh, reference point. So the front of the body, so you're looking at their abdomen, their chest, their face, the front of their legs. We call this the anterior side. Anything to do with the backside, we call the posterior. Okay. Uh, so anterior, front, posterior, back. Any point of reference, so if we're going to use the navel as a point of reference, then that would make the chest and the abdomen, abdomen superior and the legs inferior. So superior is higher to the point of reference and inferior is lower to a point of reference. Uh, another anatomical term to be familiar with is abduction versus adduction. So when something is abducted, it means it's been taken away. And if it's been adducted or added, it's going towards the body. So adducted versus abducted. So superior, inferior, anterior, posterior, abducted, adducted. Those are your major ones. I don't want to get too bogged down in different body uh, names. How I like to work this is give you a brief overview of general anatomy. And then when we get into specific uh, injuries or illnesses to that body part, then I'll delve a lot deeper into the anatomical names and the structures that are in those names. All right. So there's your brief, your two, four, six, eight um, medical terms for landmarking. Moving on to actual medical anatomy. This isn't physiology, it's just the anatomy, so the naming of the body parts. As with anything in medicine, paramedicine, or nursing, we always start at the head and work our way down. It's logical, it has its own method, and we follow this head-to-foot flow. You won't miss anything. So starting at the head, just with the skeleton right now, so we're going to work basically inside out. So with the skeleton, the top of the head is called the skull. And for the head and spine injury podcast, I will be going into the different names of the parts 
and where they're located in, uh, in the skull region itself. So as we work our way down, we have the neck, which is the cervical spine. And then from there, we going a little bit further down to our shoulders, our shoulder blades, uh, our clavicles, um, our ribs, our thoracic cavity, which is the chest cavity. And below that is our lower back, which is called the lumbar spine, and then the sacrum and coccyx. Okay, those are your, your lower end tailbones. Attached to that sacrum and coccyx are your hip bones, so your pelvis, and they are broken down into your femur, so femur right, femur left, then your patella, which is your knee bone, then your tibia and your fibula, okay, so those are your lower leg bones, and your ankle, and then your bones of your feet. All right. I went all the way down to the legs and feet and then we're going to come back up and do the arms so the upper arm is called the humerus and then the lower arm bones are the radius and the ulna then you have your wrist bones your hand bones and your finger bones okay? and they all have specific names that we'll, we'll get into uh, as as the time progresses so the reason i went all the way down the legs and did the arms last is when we're doing a rapid body assessment or a, a secondary thorough assessment we always check the legs before the arms the reason being is that the femur area the femoral artery if severed from a broken femur is large enough to cause a serious shock and uh, possible death if not treated so um, the artery for the upper arm isn't as large still poses a threat if severed but not to the same extent as a femoral artery uh, being severed all right now we're going to go into the body cavity parts uh, again very brief overview um, you have your thoracic cavity which is encompasses the lungs the trachea the heart and all those adjoining tissues and, and organs and then you have your abdominal cavity and that includes your stomach your pancreas your liver your gallbladder your spleen and continues on to your small intestines large intestines so those are that's your part of your abdominal cavity your thoracic cavity now, some books have it broken down a little bit further, and as we go along, we'll, we'll make the uh, details more specific for that body, body part. Um, one of the other body parts I want to discuss is the um, pituitary system. Uh, I've always had problems saying that word, and that's fine. You know, I can say other polysyllabic words, but not that one very well. So that is your skin, your hair, your nails, your teeth. So basically, uh, we tend to look at it as your skin. And there's a lot of assessments in first aid basic and at first aid advanced and paramedicine and nursing that do rely upon a good skin assessment. Um, I tell nursing students, especially the first year nursing students, 
that uh, they're tasked with a lot of personal care and hygiene as a, as a base for their uh, for their training. It doesn't matter if you're a licensed practical nurse or a bachelor of nursing. Everyone has to go through this kind of training, and those uh, bachelor of nurses students who feel that it's, it's beneath them to to do a, a bed bath, uh, a find a new major because that's if. If serving is below you, then being a leader is way above you. So um, you can't do all the fun stuff of nursing. You have to do the the day-to-day grinds. So the point being is when you're doing a bed bath on someone, I, and I tell the nursing students, you aren't just bathing them. You're A, you're talking to them if they're able to speak, and you're finding out their level of responsiveness, their uh, comprehension, their surroundings so they're uh, if they're confused at all if they're post-op if they're pre-op if they're nervous that's your time to build a rapport with your with your person is doing a bed bath and also you get a chance to check out their skin for any possible signs of uh, uh, bed sores or any any moles or freckles or anything that looks odd that you can report to their medical team um so when you're helping someone have a, a, a wash in the morning or in the evening, it's not just a task, it's an assessment. You're assessing this person. So that's why I put a lot of emphasis on a good skin assessment. The last part on this segment I want to discuss is um, some medical terminology and wordplay acronyms, whatever helps you remember certain medical terms, because if you've never taken a medical terminology course, or if you're new to learning uh, different medical terms, it's a language all in itself. It really, truly is. And it's one that has to be mastered over time. You just can't learn it overnight. Uh, I started in the late 80s as an uh, emergency medical technician and uh, I had a hard time learning some of the med- medical terms, specifically cyanosis. I don't know why, but I did. And all cyanosis is is a bluish tinge to their lips or their skin, and that's generally a sign of a lack of oxygen. Could also be a sign of them being hypothermic. So for me, the Smurfs were popular back in the 80s, and Smurfs are blue. And that was my little word association, was if I can't remember cyanosis, but I can remember that Smurfs are blue, I can associate Smurfs to cyanosis because it sort of sounds similar, right? They're not spelled the same, so don't don't try that. Um, another medical terminology is bradycardia versus tachycardia. So if you break polysyllabic or multisyllable words down, bisyllable, Anything medical is going to be Latin-based. So um, I know most of us haven't brushed up on our Latin in a long, long time. But this is a good chance to learn if you break the words down in bite-sized portions, it makes it easier to understand and to digest. So bradycardia. Brada, brady, meaning slow, slower than normal. And cardia meaning heart. So if you're doing cardio workouts, you're doing workouts 
to get your heart pumped and endurance. Tachycardia, tachy meaning faster than normal, and then cardia meaning again the heart. Um, other medical terms that you should be familiar with if you're going to be working in the healthcare field uh, versus what we call layperson's words uh, heart attack versus myocardial infarction or MI for short. So a heart attack is a layperson's term. You may hear it on TV. You may hear it from people who don't work in healthcare. That is the layperson's term for a myocardial infarction. And again, if you reference back to what I said about breaking down those big words, myo meaning muscle, cardio meaning heart, and infarction can either mean death or blockage uh, because they can, the, the blockage can turn into a, a, an ischemia, which is a death of the cell. Uh, another term to be familiar with is um, cardiac arrest. Cardiac, heart, arrest meaning stopped. So your heart is stopped beating. It is not to be confused with a myocardial infarction. Two different medical issues. Someone with a myocardial infarction can still be alert and conscious and talking to you because they're telling you they're having uh, these certain feelings or pain or whatnot. And someone who's in cardiac arrest is unconscious. They're breathing, if at all, is very weird and, and abnormal. And we'll get into that. Um, so uh, myocardial infarction can lead to cardiac arrest if not treated. But uh, not necessarily does it always lead to cardiac arrest. So arrest, if you think of anybody who speaks French, uh, especially here in Canada, where it is a bilingual country, arrêt is, is French for stop. So if you think my uh, cardiac arrest, their heart is stopped beating. Again, that goes back to uh, Latin terminology. Uh, stroke versus CVA. Okay. C a stroke is a layperson's term. And we do use layperson's terms when we're working with the public because we, as professionals, don't go out and speak medical term jargon all the time. And I would implore anyone learning medical terminology for the first time, uh, don't show off your fancy skills to a doctor because if they think you know what you're talking about, they will give it right back to you and you will be lost. Um, even in paramedic school, we, we had a lot of medical terminology we were uh, had to learn and understand and communicate in on the radio. And the supervisors would always say, if you can't remember it in its medical term, say it in English, plain, plain English, English being the, my native tongue. So, because if you say the wrong word, A, you're going to come across as a fool, and B, the doctor's going to go to assess something that's not injured or, or in need of being treated because it sounded similar to another medical term that you said. Prime example would be perineum versus peritoneum. I'll let you look those two words up at home and then you'll get a good, good laugh as to why you don't want to confuse the two. So in conclusion, for the medical terms, if you're not familiar with it, 
and you're not 100% certain you know what that word means, the upper arm is swollen. Okay, if I can't remember humerus, I'm going to say the upper arm is swollen. Um, Fractures, open versus closed. Keep it real simple. There was a time in some of the older medical and first aid books you would see um, simple versus compound, and that term was was around for a long time. Uh, Compound meaning it was open, the skin was broken, and simple meaning the skin wasn't broken. One of my hobbies uh, is collecting old first aid books. I have old uh, first aid books from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. I want to say one of my oldest ones is from the late 30s. I have a couple from World War II, uh, Canadian Navy um, first aid uh, books. But um, yeah, here in Canada, two major uh, first aid instructions, especially back in those that time period, were St. John Ambulance and the Canadian Red Cross. Uh, so a lot of those books I have, and they do reference those older terms. Another thing I want to point out for medical terms is, oh, stroke versus CVA. I mentioned that, and I got off on the tangent. Sorry about that. It happens. So a stroke is a layperson's term for a cerebral vascular accident, or CVA. And if, again, break down the words cerebral, so that's in your head. Vascular has to do with the, that part of the, uh, the brain itself. So it's, it's one of the blood vessels in the brain. Accident, take it, leave it. It's not really an accident. There's, um, when it comes to, to someone who's, had, who's having a CVA or a stroke, it's either a clot, a burst aneurysm, or it's a brain tumor. And when we get into the whole segment of cardiovascular and stroke um, signs and symptoms, I'll I'll delve into that a lot deeper. So a CVA, stroke, versus a TIA, transient ischemic attack. Transient is something that moves. Ischemic, again, has to do with blood vessels. An attack. That is a medical terminology for what lay people call a mini-stroke. And I'll delve into the signs and symptoms and the causes in that in that podcast. So there's your med terms versus lay person's terms. And again, don't want to get too bogged down, learning it right off the bat. Try to find word associations like the cyanosis, the Smurfs. Uh, acronyms are good. And as we go on, I can relay some of the acronyms I've picked up over the years that are family friendly. I'm not gonna, this is a family podcast, so there won't be any anything above a PG for um, that kind of reference. That being said, as the podcast goes on, the content gets more mature and more serious, even though I try to keep it as light and fluffy as possible. The content itself is serious and, and of a mature nature. So there will be anatomical parts, especially when we're talking about childbirth and miscarriage, that if um, maturity level isn't there, the podcast is not for you. I'll be quite blunt. Um, We do talk about some other things that are very um, 
heavy as opposed to being light and fluffy. Right? Great. I think I'm going to cut the podcast a few minutes short today. I found that after I distributed the first one, it was just too long, especially for editing. And I want to keep things podcast at about the 30, 25 to 30 minute mark. So if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, please use the appropriate channels for getting in touch with me. Again, this is Jay with First Aid Basics. You have a great day. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night to anyone and everyone listening to my podcast, whatever time of the day or night it is. Thank you very much for joining me again. This is First Aid Basics. I'm your host, Jay. Today our discussion will be scene size up, scene management, what to expect, and how best to approach an emergency situation given limited resources at that time. All right, the first thing anyone wants to do before they dive into an emergency situation is to size up what you're walking into. So let's start off with those words, walking into. Uh, You never want to run into any situation. Um, Case in point, in paramedic training, in paramedic school, we were ingrained that we walk to the situation. That gives us time to take a deep breath, get our equipment in hand, our gloves on, and focus on the bigger picture. Don't get caught up in what's called tunnel vision, which is just too focused on maybe that person laying on the ground and fail to see that there's traffic coming either way. So uh, you would walk to the scene and take everything in, scanning the whole area to make sure that it is safe for you to do so. So the first thing we always teach, and whether it be basic first aid or advanced first aid, is assess the scene for dangers Uh, danger to yourself, danger to the casualties, to other bystanders. And first and foremost, your own protection is the utmost importance. So if you get injured and you're the only first aider there, well, now there's two casualties and no one to help the first person. So the other thing we're doing when we're sizing up the scene is we are determining how many people are involved, how many casualties, how many injured or ill, We don't really do a lot of triage training in a basic first aid course. Uh, I I do like to uh, go on to say that if there's more than one injured person and there's only one first aider, um, you would go determine the person who is not crying out in pain or not uh, talking to you. Because if they're talking or crying out in pain, that means they're conscious, alert, have a patent airway, and they're breathing. They, they do need assistance, but probably not as much as the person who's not saying anything and not moving. Uh, we could spend hours and hours on how to triage someone um, in the rapid triage and treatment assessment protocols, but for a basic first aid refresher or first aid course, we go with make sure you have the enough resources available to do a proper triage 
in, in a basic first aid course. That would mean making sure that uh, all the EMS, fire, police, ambulance are in route. So your role as the first first aider on scene is to ensure the scene is safe for you to approach. And if it's not, or if there's too many casualties for you to safely and effectively look after, you need additional resources to be dispatched to the scene. The other thing we want to look for at scene size up is what happened, the mechanism of injury. Is it a motor vehicle collision? Is it someone has passed out in a shopping plaza? So whatever the scenario is, we need to try to find out what happened. The other thing we want to ensure in a scene size up is not only is it safe for me, but is it safe for other, other people to help me if I need the additional resources before professional uh, responders arrive. So we're looking, is the scene safe? Are there any hazards? So let's look at some hazards examples. Uh, I use a couple of acronyms and wordplay to help people uh, remember the different dangers out there. The first one is Dr. ABC. I can't take credit for that. That was found in some research on the uh, on the old World Wide Web. So the Dr. ABC is the D is for danger. The R is for responsiveness and then the airway breathing circulation. So the D for dangers. What kind of dangers could you encounter while giving first aid? Well, we have people. So other bystanders or other uh, persons in that vicinity may pose a, a danger to yourself. Then maybe that's why the uh, casualty is in the state that they're in. Maybe there was an attack. So is, there, is it safe from other people for you to give first aid? Um, another danger would be odors. Is there any odd smells in the area? Is there something leaking if it's a motor vehicle collision? Uh, chemical leak if uh, industrial sites, any number of things can, can lead to foul odors that could be hazardous to your health. Now do take in mind that there are some uh, chemicals that do not release any odor and unless you're specifically trained to work in a confined space or a space that's going to have um, odors or odorless chemicals, then you should really be aware of the dangers that they pose. Uh, the other uh, danger could be pathways. So a roadway, a uh, steep hill, gra loose gravel, anything that can make your footing uh, uncertain uncertain all right um icy wet s snow just whatever so be aware of your surroundings and the last one is pets so service animals people's dogs um know from experience that if you are injured and I'm trying to help you, and you, there's a large dog. Not even need to be a large dog; it can be a small dog. They're protecting their owner. So, uh, a pet, a dog has the best intentions to protect their owner, and they see you as a threat, even though you're trying to help them. 
So be aware that there are uh, pets that can pose a danger to you. And it's not always just the dogs. There's other pets in people's homes that uh, can be a danger if not restrained or um, locked away somewhere. All right, so those are some of the dangers that you could come across. And you want to make sure that the scene is safe for you to go to. We've covered how did it happen, what did it happen, what are the hazards, is the scene safe, uh, taking a slow approach to that scene, again, walking instead of running. And another thing walking does, besides everything I've listed, it also helps reduce the chance of you tripping and falling, and then you, you yourself could be injured. All right. After we've determined the scene is safe and we're approaching our casualties, our patients, whatever term you want to use, your role is pretty simple. Recognize that there's an emergency exist, that an emergency exists. Protect yourself. Calling 911 or your local emergency number. And then giving the care that you are trained to give. And I kind of go back to the first episode of the legalities of first aid, which is only do what you're trained and certified to do, not what you saw on TV or what you reviewed on YouTube. That does not count. Um, if you're taking this podcast and have never taken an actual certified first aid course, this does not substitute an actual in-class or a, a combined a virtual slash in-class training. This is basically for review and interest. All right, so again, going back to your role and your responsibilities as a first aider. Okay, so we've gotten to the point where the scene is safe. We know what we can and can't do. We have our equipment. And speaking of which, there's a lot of times you can substitute items in a first aid kit. So if you don't have the nice sterile dressing kits, but you do have something clean that can be substituted in a life, you know, or death situation for severe bleeding. There are two items that cannot be substituted. One's gloves. So um, plastic bags do not work. You have to use non-latex gloves. Powder-free is preferable if you have an allergy to powder. The other thing, item you can't substitute or face mask, barrier shields for doing mouth to mouth. Um, and given this time of COVID, we do teach giving mouth to mouth, but we also understand people's hesitancy and their own safety does come first. If you do not have a barrier device and you don't feel comfortable, you would just do chest compressions until someone takes, someone else takes over or EMS arrives or you can't go on anymore. The face shields, you can get them, uh, depending on what part of the world you're listening to this podcast, uh, retail stores, health and aids, health aid stores, uh, pharmacies would carry them. Some first aid kits have them. I know in my part of the world where I live, work, um, we have general access defibrillators. And in those public access defibrillators, PAD for short, um, there's usually a face mask. Sometimes it's a fancy one. Sometimes it's just a basic one. 
there's gloves, a couple of sets of pads, scissors, your basic needs for using a defibrillator. So those are some of the ideas I want to be floating in your head for if I don't have a first aid kit or if it's not well stocked. A couple of face masks, one is a standby, one is a ready. Several pairs of gloves. One or two pairs in your first aid kit will may, might work through one, one uh, helpful aid. And if the gloves break or if they get soiled and you have to go to a second person, you need multiple, multiple gloves. Because in a mass casualty, you can't reuse the same gloves on your different casualties. You have to change out gloves each time. So, um, The other thing I want to discuss here is when to call. For assistance or when to call for additional resources. Pretty much any time that the casualty needs are beyond your treatment capabilities. So, uh, very basic wound care you have some a bandage and you put some antibiotic cream on it, probably fine. You have a multi, multi vehicle car crash with airbags deployed. That's above our technical training. So that's a good time to call for additional resources, police, fire, ambulance. Uh, if the person is not easily accessible, so a motor vehicle collision where the car door won't open, or if there's a um, confined space entrapment, any, any number of reasons where the person cannot get out on their own will or their own power. Um, any person who is unresponsive or a altered level of responsiveness, not responding in an appropriate manner. Their breathing doesn't seem like what our breathing is, so maybe it's really fast or really slow. Their color may be off. Um, there's any seizures, so something that looks like a seizure and you're uncertain if this is their first time or if their 50th seizure. When in doubt, go ahead and just call, call for an ambulance. Uh, if there's any uh, chest pain or like to go along with the uh, respiratory uh, issues, if there's any chest pain or pressure, severe bleeding that, that really is not being controlled, um, they all require advanced medical care. Okay. And one of the last things I want to touch on this podcast is the after emergency event. In the military, we call it an after action report. So you did your thing. How are you going to feel after responding to an emergency? Well, that all depends on the outcome of the emergency, your experience in dealing with emergencies, uh, your own thoughts and mental state during that said emergency. So remember, everyone reacts differently to stress. Everyone reacts differently to emergency situations. Uh, it is very normal to have certain feelings and uh, thoughts after witnessing or being a part of an of a emergency situation. And it can be as small as 
a broken arm that maybe the bone was popped out to as severe as a multi-vehicle uh, collision with fatalities at the scene. So everyone's going to react a little bit differently. What I want you to take out of this is it's normal. Some days you feel like crying. Some days you're really upset. You don't feel like eating some days. Other days you can't stop eating. Your sleeping patterns all disruptive. Those are all normal signs of having gone through a very stressful event. What you need to be aware of is don't keep it locked up inside. Seek professional help if need be. Speak to a minister, a rabbi, clergyman, whoever that you can, counselor, uh, employee assistance if you have that available. Um, you really want to speak to someone about these emotions you're going through. They are natural emotions. You're not weak for having feeling this way or having gone through a very disturbing event. They're very normal feelings. Um, and unfortunately, it's taken to 2020 to realize that people do react in stressful situations. All right. All right, so to recap, what we've had today's podcast about is the scene management and scene size up. Your What you're looking for as a first aider at a scene, whether it be motor vehicle or retail. Is the scene safe? What happened? How many are involved? Do I need additional resources prior to giving assistance? Will my car first aid kit or workplace first aid kit suffice for the injuries at that time. Knowing that when to call 911 or your local emergency number for your region, what signs and symptoms to look for for someone who might need advanced medical care, so like a car or motor vehicle accident or uh, severe bleeding, seizures, etc. that I've already mentioned. Uh, and the last thing I want to definitely stress in this podcast is um, the feelings you may encounter after dealing with or witnessing um, a medical emergency. We're not robots. We do have feelings and emotions. So um, don't feel that you have to suck it up or just be stoic about it that's the worst thing you can do all right i hope you enjoyed this podcast if you have any questions you know how to contact me uh, through the podcast link you have a great day and stay safe